we get little pictures, little snippets of Elisha's life and Elisha's work. This story covers several years. And we get a little glimpse into what his life was like. Apparently he traveled from place to place. And so he needed places to stay when he would be traveling. And it just so happens that one of the places that he would travel through was Shunem. And Shunem is not a grand place or anything, but apparently there was a couple there where they had some extra money. Now, <clears throat> we, have, uh, we have some extra money. And the first thing that we ought to notice about this story is just the hospitality of this woman and her husband for Elisha. And I know that the temptation for all of us is to say, well, if Elisha was around, I'd let Elisha stay in my house. Right? But this woman, whose name we're not told, whose husband's name we're not told, whose son's name we are not told, she practiced, she showed, she demonstrated, she lived hospitality. And as a prominent woman, she might have said, well, I'm sure there are other people who will take care of this. But as a prominent woman, she did the opposite. In her prominence, she made use of the gifts that God had provided to her to demonstrate this hospitality to Elisha. She persuaded him to stop, to eat, to let her serve him in this way. And so he made it a habit. And then she says to her husband, I perceive that this is a holy man of God passing by us continually. Now, I want you to back that up then. When did she start practicing hospitality? Before or after she perceived that this was a holy man of God? What do you think, kids? When did she first start feeding Elisha? Did she know that he was a prophet or did she think he was just a traveler? Yeah? Yeah, it seems she thought he was just a traveler, right? And so, in the New Testament, we are urged to practice hospitality. To strangers, 
to strangers. And we are reminded that some people, by, by practicing hospitality to strangers, entertained angels. But that's not what we have here. This is just, a, this is just an example of, by practicing hospitality to strangers, she entertained, they entertained a prophet of the Lord. Now, did it turn out well for her to convince Elisha to come and stay, to be fed? It turned out well for her, didn't it? But it's not an unalloyed good, is it? Do you know what unalloyed means? Any of you kids know unalloyed? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Unmixed. So if I say it was good, but it was alloyed, I mean that it was mixed, right? Now, there's good things that come. What are the good things that come in this story? What's the first good thing? Yeah. That's right. The woman gives birth to a son. And it's only because she practiced hospitality that that gift is given to her, right? What a joyful Wonderful gift. And she doesn't even ask for it, does she? She doesn't even ask for it. But God, through Elisha, gives her the gift of a son. Now, what's the alloyed part? What's the mixed part of the blessing? The part where it's not so good. Come on, you know, right? What's the bad part? Who, who can answer? Go ahead, yeah. The sun dies. That's exactly right. That's the sad part, right? The alloyed part. So now, who wants, who wants to practice hospitality now? It's harder to think about practicing hospitality when we think that we might get the blessing of God and then have that blessing yanked away, right? Wouldn't you rather just not receive the blessing in the first place? But that's not where the story ends, right? The blessing returns all the more beautiful and glorious. It's truly an unalloyed blessing, isn't it? When it finally comes to its conclusion, her son, who had died, is raised. And she receives him back. What a wonderful gift. What a wonderful 
wonderful blessing. Now, we understand that life is full of sorrows, life is full of trials, painful things, difficult things. And here we have God's work being performed and it being in some ways very easy for us to accept, in some ways very difficult for us to accept. We want to receive a son and then we want to receive that son back from death, but we don't want to go through that in-between part the losing of the son. And so, we know that she wanted a son, even though she didn't ask for it, only because Gehazi, Elisha's servant, knew what was going on in her life. Her husband is old. And by the way, this might be one of those stories that you, that you don't remember of all the many places in the Bible where God's blessing is poured out in the giving of children where it seems impossible, all the ways that uh, we are reminded that children are a blessing from the Lord, probably the, the biggest way that we're reminded is when we see one of these stories where it's impossible to have children. And, and all through Scripture, you run into these stories. You've got Hannah, who's given the gift of Samuel. You've got this woman here. And part of the reason I think we don't remember her is because we're not told her name. And you have Elizabeth. And you have Mary. And... You have Abram and Sarah, right? We've got many, many of these stories. Sometimes they're unexpected, unasked for, like this one, right? Always a gift. God gives her a son. In his sovereignty, he blesses her. And yet then God took her son. Not an easy thing for anybody to face. How does she reply? How does she respond to God saying, I'm going to give you a son? Now I'm going to take away your son. How would you respond? I'm not convinced that all of us would run to the prophet. Let me just say that. Bitterness and anger might be the most poisonous thing that we have 
in this world. And you can easily imagine somebody facing the death of their child at noon on her lap and saying, that's it. Tear the room on the roof down. He's never coming in this house again. Right? I mean, I hope you understand that that would be a a thought, a temptation, right? And not just that we would never want to see Elisha again, but that certainly we want nothing to do with Elisha's God. See, a rejection of Elisha, the man of God, is a rejection of God. The more closely the power of God is associated with an individual, like it is with Elisha and Elijah and some of these prophets, whether through power or through words, messages and prophecies specifically, or whether through the actions of miracles performed. To reject Moses when he throws down his staff and shows the power of God displayed in his staff becoming a snake, for instance. To reject Moses at that time is to reject God. To be angry that Moses came and rescued you from Egypt is to be angry that God sent Moses to rescue you from Egypt. To be angry at the man of God is to reject and be angry at God himself. And so this is the temptation that we face. The temptation we face is to believe that God is not who he says he is. Faithful, compassionate, merciful, slow to anger. But rather to believe the lies of Satan who will try to convince us that God is stingy, that God is not trustworthy, that we can't rely on him that he has no concern for us and that he is simply going to do things that will get our hopes up just so that he can dash them because that's the kind of guy he is. After all, look what he just did. You weren't expecting a son, but he gave you a son. And now look, He's taken the son away. That's just what you can come to expect from God, isn't it? What would you have done when faced with the death of your son at that moment? What she does is she turns to God by turning to the man of God. She runs to Elisha. You can see the extremity of her fear 
her sorrow when she arrives. And what does she say? She says, Did I ask for a son from my Lord? Did I not say, Do not deceive me? Now, those words are painful, aren't they? If it weren't for the fact that she ran straight to Elisha, you could interpret those words very differently, right? If he tried to stop in five months later and she's slamming the door in his face and she's saying those words, that's a little bit different, isn't it? But they're said as she runs to him. And what's she saying? She's saying, help. Help. She's expressing her doubts, yes. Her fears, yes. But she's expressing them straight to the man of God who she ran to first thing. She doesn't tell her husband that the son has died. She doesn't tell Gehazi that the son has died. Why not? There could be several answers to that question. seems clear to me that part of it is because she still has hope. She has not yet accepted it. It's not the final answer yet. So she goes to the man of God. She runs to Elisha. And she says... Did I ask for a son from my Lord? Did I not say, do not deceive me? And that's the first, first, inclina- or first indication that something is majorly wrong, right? Well, not, not quite. She caught hold of his feet. She caught hold of his feet. This is not normal to throw yourself on the ground before somebody and to grab their feet, right? I mean, if you're playing football, okay, maybe. But we're not talking about football here. She threw herself on the ground. She grabbed his feet. It's so abnormal, in fact, that Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, is taking his staff and he's like, get get out of here. Right? And here we have this strange, strange example of 
the limitations on Elisha. In this particular case, Elisha is wise enough to see that she is in great distress, right? Gehazi came near to push her away, but the man of God said, let her alone, for her soul is troubled within her. And then what does he say? And the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. Again, you get this little picture of what it's like to be Elisha. He travels around, right? He goes from place to place, and what does he do? Well, he, he, must, he must do something, right? One of the things that becomes clear from looking at this is that he's used to knowing what's going on. But in this particular case, God has hidden it from him. He doesn't know what's going on. All he knows is he can see. He saw her eyes, right? He knows her soul is distressed within her. The Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. He had an inkling when he saw her coming. This is not normal. Just like her husband said, it's not the Sabbath or the new moon, right? It's not normal. That's why he sends Gehazi, go ask her if everything is okay. He can tell everything's not okay, but he doesn't know what's going on. Now, if you were writing the stories of the Bible, and you were intent on showing how great a man and how amazing Elisha was, that's not part you would include, right? Uh, what I want us to realize is that uh, we focus a lot on the men. We focus a lot on the earthly, the things that are obvious, that are before us. This is why when I said at the beginning, well, yeah, I mean, if, if I was going to have Elisha, if I was going to have a powerful miracle worker from the Lord staying in my house, then sure, I'd, be, I'd practice hospitality. I mean, yeah. But it's not about Elisha the man. As much as I said, yes, to... to to associate with him, to run to him, it is to run to God, right? Nevertheless, Elisha is still just a man. When he sees her coming, you can see he gets worried. When she throws herself on the ground before him and, and grabs onto his feet, he acknowledges he doesn't have any idea what's wrong, but he can tell there's something wrong. God places limitations on Elisha. And we see another limitation. Again, if you were going to write this story, would you include the failed run the staff to the child story? 
didn't accomplish anything. That's a weird thing to include, isn't it? Why include that in this story? Gehazi passed on before them, laid the staff on the lad's face, but there was no sound or response. So he returned to meet him and told him, the lad has not awakened. <clears throat> when Elisha came into the house, behold, the lad was dead and laid on his bed. Verse 33, so he entered and shut the door behind them both and prayed to the Lord. This is how God works this miracle. <clears throat> In this particular instance, it is not the norm for Elisha. In this particular instance, it's not through special knowledge being granted. It's not through some prophecy. It's not through some miraculous power being sent through the staff. <clears throat> what happens is that Elisha prays and God answers his prayer. Now, This is the second thing that I want us to take away. The first is practice hospitality, including and especially to strangers. But the second is give yourself to prayer. Give yourself to prayer. God works through prayer. We are dependent upon prayer. No matter else, what else, we think that we are capable of or incapable of. This is a great example where, you know, if, if Elisha's power from the Lord, his ability to simply accomplish things, to know things, to demonstrate the Lord's power through his staff, right? Or through his cloak against the water and the waters spread, right? These are the kinds of things that Elisha can normally do. He normally can know what's going on. He normally can act. He normally can use his staff to demonstrate God's power. Just as the disciples could normally cast out demons. But you remember there was one time they couldn't. And they're very confused that one time. Lord, we tried to cast out the demons and normally we can, but this time we couldn't. What gives? And Jesus' response is this kind only by prayer. Elisha Normally, by the power of his staff, 
staff doesn't have power, but, but the power of God demonstrated through Elisha, right? Normally, that's the norm. This time, only by prayer. This time, only by prayer. Now, fast forward to today. We don't have what feels like the magic that Elisha could demonstrate the power of God, right? We don't generally see the special knowledge being dispensed. We don't generally see the miraculous transformations. But what do we see normally? What's normal for us is often that the doctors can figure something out, right? Oh, here's the problem. And here's the solution. We can give you this drug. We can take that medicine. We can, you, can, you can take these supplements. We can do this surgery. We can poison your whole body, and it'll mostly just poison the bad stuff. So you'll, you'll be better off all told. Right? These are all the things that are normal today. Thank you, son. That's just what I needed. So what's normal for us today is God works through means of doctors and hospitals and our friends who have experience, who can help counsel us. And there's really normal things like that, right? And then, and then sometimes none of it works, right? None of it seems to work. And then what? Then we realize, oh, I have to pray. I have to pray. I have to work not through the normal means. I have to trust God to work. And so God works through Elisha's prayer in a way that is not normal. Instead of seeing Elisha's great power displayed, we see a couple of examples of his weakness. And ultimately, yes, the, the, the boy is raised. And what a gift, what a joy. But just as the story is not unalloyed, Right? So the demonstration of Elisha and his holiness and power through the Lord and so forth is not unalloyed. You see his weaknesses. You see his failures, even in this story of his ultimate success through the Lord and through prayer. And so we should not give up. But we should turn to the Lord in prayer. Now let's return. If we are to practice hospitality and we are to pray, then we have to return to the sadness, the misery, 
the pain, the temptations that come with sorrow, with loss. And there's a lot of ways of dealing with that. We can deny the pain. We can shut down. We can become angry. We can try to distract ourselves. What this woman does is she rushes to God and that's actually the main part, the main point that I want us all to remember. These three things, practice hospitality, pray, but run to the Lord. Don't believe the lies of Satan. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's how Job responds when he faces great loss. This woman runs to the man of God and says, I'm not going to let go. I'm not leaving. I'm staying with you. Is that how we respond to God? I'm not, I'm not leaving. I'm not going anywhere else. I ran to you and I'm staying here. I'm staying with you no matter what happens. There's a lot to learn in that. One of the things to learn is that we that we shouldn't give up seeking the Lord. When Gehazi seeks to push her away, oh, forget it. I don't know why I came. Hop back on the ride and leave? No. Hold on all the tighter. Right? Hold on all the tighter. When it comes to processing a story like this, uh, I think one of the temptations that we face is to just look at, look at the outcome where she receives her son back from the dead, right? And for us to look at the things that we have not gotten and just say, this isn't an encouraging story. It just makes me more angry. It just makes me sadder. It just makes me doubt God more. We have a similar story uh, referenced in the New Testament when Jesus is speaking to the people, and he points out that 
Not everybody got the healing. Not everybody got their sons returned to them. Not everybody was spared from the famine. Not everybody was spared. Not everybody was healed. And one of the stories that's coming up is a story that Jesus references in chapter 5 when Naaman is healed of his leprosy. And Naaman was not even one of God's people. And that's the point that Jesus is making. He's pointing out the faithlessness of the people. Well, here we have a temptation before us. Having read a story of receiving back her son from the grave, we can quickly become doubtful that God is actually good. That God actually loves us. That God actually has mercy for the least of these. When we are the least. When we are at our lowest. Can we trust him? God's power is demonstrated. His mercy is demonstrated. But now I want you to uh, I want you to ask the question, what happened to this boy after this? Is he, does anybody know what happens to him after this? Any of you kids know what happens to him after this? No, you don't, do you? Why not? Why don't you know? Yeah? It doesn't tell us. But I can tell you something. I can tell you something that happens after this. He dies. You know how I know? Because he's not here. He's not alive anymore. See, the mercies of God are demonstrated in this life, but they are not limited to this life. The mercies of God are demonstrated in this life, but they're not limited to this life. The true power that's demonstrated here in the resurrection of this little boy is shown in its fullness in Jesus Christ when he raises himself because death could not hold him. And when he says that he will raise all of his people in newness of life and not just to live another 70 years or 60 years or however long this little boy lived after this. But for all eternity in paradise. That is truly the promise of God that's displayed in this story. That his power is over everything, including death. 
And so, yes, unless Christ returns first, you will die. And it will suck. Not just for you, but for everybody who loves you. Now, does that mean you shouldn't worship God? Or does that mean you should run to Him? That's the question. Should you hate Him? Or should you love Him? You will face painful things in this life. How you interpret those painful things is part of what we see in this story. And it's always tempting for us to say, well, if God would simply give me the good ending, then I would worship him. Right? If God would give me the good ending, then it would be so much easier. If God would give me the happy ending, then I could put up with the, the, the mixture of bad that comes in the middle. But what is the message that God gives in the gospel? It's that the good ending is coming. You're only still living in the middle. You're still living with the bad, yes. But every tear will be wiped away. Death will be conquered. Sin will be ended. That's a story that we can celebrate because we know it's the promise for us. And this little story only gives us a tiny little taste in this life of that miraculous goodness from the Lord. That those who run to him, he will not cast them away, but they will receive his blessing. And it's in this life only that she sees that, that we see it in this story. And we think, well, that's all that matters. This life, here and now, how I feel right at this minute. Well, that's not what matters. That's not all that matters. What matters is the end. And so, God is giving us His blessing. And no, it's not <clears throat> without pain in the meantime. And no, <clears throat> we didn't even ask for the blessing, did we? Just like this woman who did not ask for a son. We did not ask that God would save us. He simply decided to give us that good gift. And so, run to him. Rejoice in his good gifts. Know that yes, there will be pain. And know that yes, he will bring the good work that he has begun to completion. And that completion is good. It's happy. It's fully satisfying, not halfway. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, 
What a joy to see this woman's son restored to her. Father, what a joy it is for us to be reminded that we will receive eternal life if our faith is in you. Father, help us. Help us not to doubt. Help us not to believe Satan's lies when he tries to tell us that you've only raised us up so you can dash us down. When he tries to tell us that you enjoy messing with us. Father, when he tries to tell us that if, the, if we don't receive entirely good things here and now, that we shouldn't bother worshiping you. Help us, Father, instead, like this Shunammite woman, to run to you and to not let go. And help us, like Elisha, to pray. To pray to you, trusting that you will work good in all circumstances. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.